that you are glad to be together today in the house of the Lord to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. As I said this morning, I'm grateful for the uh, warm welcome I've received, for the hospitality of the hotel and everything such as that, and for the support that this congregation has provided to OEBS, not only financially but also through their prayers as well. Our lesson this morning is entitled, Are You Battle Ready? I grew up with my father watching a lot of John Wayne movies and Clint Eastwood and a lot of those old war movies and things such as that. And getting to 40 years old this past year, 41 this year, uh, I go back and find myself now watching those things again. And what's interesting is, no matter what war movie you're watching, there always is a preparation sequence in those movies. When it comes to the spiritual sense, what we're talking about this morning, when it comes to the battles that the Christian will face, because there are battles we're going to face, whether we want to admit it or not, there are things we're going to have to deal with that are quickly finding their ways to our doorstep. And for that reason, we must be battle-ready. Obviously, I'm not talking about picking up a a weapon, a physical weapon of some sort, but I'm talking about being ready and being fully armed with the truth of God's Word. To be able to explain to people why we do the things that we do, why we believe what we believe, and why we live as we live, because the Bible tells us so. Because we find within the Word of God a pattern that causes us to be obedient to God, and the end result, when we follow that biblical pattern, allows us to have heaven as our home one day because when we follow that pattern, we will be a faithful follower of God. So think about this question. What battles do the Christian face today? Our key text really is from Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, where the Bible says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He's talking about how we better be prepared to live a faithful Christian life. How the end, you know, every day is a day that's closer to when the Lord may return. The Bible doesn't tell us when the Lord is going to return, but it does tell us without a doubt that He is coming. The Bible also points out, as we'll talk about this morning, that there are things we're going to have to deal with. They dealt with various hardships and trials in the time of the apostles and in the Old Testament as well. Think about this for a moment. Have you ever been told by, the, by law enforcement that you cannot pray to God for 30 days? They told Daniel that. You've been told by, by our government you cannot worship any other god except the king. And, and if you do not worship the king, you're going to be you know, cast into a den of lions or things such as that. You've been told if you don't fall down before a certain image that you will be placed into a burning, fiery furnace and there you will die. So if you find those things in the Bible... But in each one of those horrendous, difficult situations, 
Those individuals refuse to buckle under the pressure of those around them. We have things impressed upon us under the idea of being accepted, being tolerated, certain lifestyles and ideals, when acceptance and tolerated is not really the idea, that what we really find is that we are asked to conform and to promote and to be quiet about lifestyles that are in direct contradiction to the Word of God. We think about there in Romans chapter 13 and verse 12, he says, Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, that's a reference to sinful acts, Cast those things off. Don't be involved in those things. That's not all that he says. So we can say that it's not just avoiding sin, but preparing to battle against the temptation of sin and to battle against those who would promote it in our faces. He tells us there in verse 12, Let us put on the armor of light. Think about this for a moment. What battles do the Christian face today? What battles do we face? Do we have to deal with homosexuality and the promotion of it? Yes. Do we have to deal with other things that fall in line with that same idea, such as the LGBTQ whatever movement? Yes. Do we have to deal with racism in all forms and all different ways? Yes. We have to know how we should respond to those things. You know, thinking, for example, about the LGBT movement and think about these gruesome battles we have to face against unthankful, sinful, unthinkable, sinful acts and lifestyles. I read just this morning how California was passing a law where they were going to lesser the penalty for those who are involved in sexual acts with children. It means you'll get in less trouble now. I think I'd be moving. See, we are a country in so many ways. And we're honest, the world is stepping down further and further into the pit of sinfulness and wickedness and acceptance of it. When we as Christians need to tie off the anchor and do all we can to pull ourselves and others back up out of the pit. You think about this for a moment. We think about how these various sinful lifestyles reaching our front door. Not only are we dealing with homosexuals and lesbianism and all those types of things, but now we have transgenderism, the made-up term for those who do not know what sex they are anymore, which is a mental health disorder. It's interesting to me that we talk about mental health when shootings go on, but we don't talk about it with homosexuality or transgenderism. But until 1972 or 73, homosexuality in the world of psychology was deemed a mental disorder. It wasn't that long ago. What has changed? Well, as this article read, uh, I read about it, it didn't say anything changed. It just, what they meant was we treat it a little bit differently, but it's really still the same thing. A mental disorder. And it is. The Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 1, that's against nature, right? The Bible tells us for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. When you read that phrase, God gave them up, it's not like God just said, okay, do whatever you want, it's okay. The idea was they're so vile and wicked and so determined, God said, fine. Let's see what happens when you do things your own way, right? And we find this in the Old Testament, right? And the Bible tells us everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That worked out very well, didn't it? No. No, it didn't. 
But when people refused to obey, we had this idea that God just said, they're not going to listen. Notice what he says there in verse 26. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Did you catch that? What is against nature? Which means if it's against nature, nature it is unnatural. Right? What happens when you do unnatural things? Bad things happen, right? Nothing good comes from doing unnatural things. That's why today we have a lot of people who are trying to do all these unnatural things to certain foods and things. And now they come out and they're saying, well, they're causing cancer, so we're going to quietly stop selling it, but we won't really say anything about it. Think about this for a moment. He goes on to say in verse 27, Likewise, also the men, leaving, what is it? The natural use of the woman, burning their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. Shameful. You know that is hate speech in the world today? Romans 1, 26, and yes, 27. We'll look at the latter part of it in a moment. That is hate speech today. That's intolerant. That's homophobic. No, it's not. It's a warning. What you're doing is unnatural. You're going to lose your eternal soul for it. You know in the book of Leviticus, we also find condemnations about homosexuality. We have also find condemnations, what we call today transgenderism, when the Bible tells us in Leviticus that it's an abomination for a man to dress and act like a woman. We find the same thing for women, right? They're told not to even wear men's clothing, and, women are to, and men are told not to wear women's clothing. Leviticus, the Bible. Well, I thought the Bible was outdated. Turns out it's not. It still tells us what we should be doing, doesn't it? What happens when you do what is unnatural? These things come with consequences. What does the latter part of verse 27 say? And receiving themselves a penalty of their error, which was due. Which was what? We could say which was fair. Which was a natural progression. When you do unnatural things, certain things happen. Why do you think today, and I've, <laughs> I heard it on television, and I hear it when I would try to watch certain videos because everything has ads anymore, you know. And they're advertising one about this HIV medicine. You know who was predominant players in that ad? Homosexuals. Why do you think that is? Because certain lifestyles, they're unnatural, have very natural consequences. So you look at verse 27 there. Receiving in themselves a penalty of their error, which was due. Sinful lifestyles have a price. Not every sinful lifestyle will result in the same physical consequences on earth, but they all result in the same spiritual consequence on the day of judgment. Bible principles, for many, are offensive. When has this not been the case? Look at Matthew chapter 15, looking at verses 10 through verse 14. Here the Bible says, We have called the, called the multitude to himself. He said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this, this defiles a man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Do you not know you make them upset? You stepped on their feet? You stepped on their toes? You hurt their feelings? That's what he's talking about, right? They were offended. You ever heard the word offended today? Are people offended today by things? Well, the answer to that is yes, right? We get offended when someone uses the wrong word. We get offended when someone 
call someone something that once was not thought of as being vulgar or rude, but just stating a simple fact. Well, now it's hate speech. But you notice here in the latter part of this section, looking at verse 13 and 14, when he tells us, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. That is the brass tax of it, as my father-in-law would say. That's what it boils down to. That all those who are not doing what God has said, what his Father has said, he said they will be uprooted. He says in verse 14, let them alone. What is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Those who are offended and don't want to change. You can't make people do what they, want, what they don't want to do, can you? If you could take your Bibles and literally smack someone and, make, and that would cause them to obey, what would you do? You'd have a field day, wouldn't you? You would wear that Bible out. You'd be on the news. But it doesn't work that way. And Christ, being the one who could know the hearts of men more than anyone else, right? He says, let, he says, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. They're offended. They're hurt. But yet they're not motivated to change. They are blind spiritually. He says, and the blind, if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. If those who, are, who, those who are rebellious lead other rebellious people, what's going to happen? They're not going to get closer to God. No, they're going to fall into the ditch. Which is the idea there, they're going to fall into condemnation. Wickedness is called good today, while righteousness is called evil and hateful and hate speech, homophobic. You talk about the family, and people say, well, you're judgmental. You talk about the sin of homosexuality, you're homophobic. You talk about the sin that is involved so often, the marriage and divorce. You're hateful. You're mean. You're cruel. You know what's interesting over all these years? The Bible has always said what it's always said. All that has changed over the years is our attitude towards it. If you look at history, when we say sometimes history repeats itself, it really does. and It repeats itself so much, it'd be funny if it wasn't so sad. You ever see an old fashion come back around again? When I was in school, I won't tell you when, but the 70s style of jeans kind of made its way back in. My mom was talking about how, oh, I remember those kinds of jeans. And now kind of the 80s and some heralds come back in some way. It just fashions back around. Sin's the same way. We just call it something different. You know how sometimes they would abort their children back in the Old Testament and in the time of the prophets? They didn't necessarily kill them in the womb. But they would take them to the outstretched arms of a false god by the name of Molech. And they'd lay that screaming child in the fiery red arms of that idolatrous false god. And let the child be consumed and die. That's a gruesome thing to think about, isn't it? That's just one of the many reasons why God condemned it so many times and so directly. He says those things... Or would never enter my mind. 
And yet they were doing it all the time. Yet today we, we don't offer up our children to a false god in that way, but we do offer them up to a false god in a sense of selfishness and poor planning and our own poor judgment because when people so many times a day abort their children, it's out of selfishness, not because of any other reason. Lack of self-control has caused many, many people today to kill children in the name of abortion. In the name of convenience. God still calls it sin. Regardless of what we call it today. Another battle we face many times is the attitude, as we'll see in a moment. i got to behind myself here. Isaiah 5 verse 20 reminds us, those who call evil good and good evil, right? Those who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They just switch things around. We see that today so often. Let's move on to our next point here. The attitude towards the unfaithful and the attitude to the unfaithful in general. What do we mean by the attitude of the unfaithful? You ever go talk to someone, visit someone who hasn't been faithful to the Lord's church? And we know this because, one, we never see them. Two, they don't live as they should. And three, the list goes on and on and on, right? And when we talk with them, they still act as if they are a faithful child of God. Is that accurate? Is there such thing as a faithful, unfaithful child of God? I don't find that in the Bible. What we do find are those who we call wayward members. Those who have departed from the faith. Those who have gone back into the world, right? Paul talks about Demas who did that, right? He literally betrayed him when Paul was put in prison. And Demas went on back into the world. And left Paul all alone in the prison at Rome. Look at this for a moment. In Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, beginning in verse 24, think about this for a moment. Christ says here, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. you ever thought about what exactly he's talking about? When you give up your life, when you lose your life, that is when you stop living as, as you want to live, that is, you just do whatever you want, you do whatever sin you want, do whatever you want to do, and you don't think about obeying God, that's a person who has not given up their life for Christ. But the person who says, he says here in verse 25, who, who, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And if you want to preserve that sinful way of life, it will cost you your spiritual one. Look at verse 25. But whoever loses his life, whoever forsakes that old way of living, that's why that old way of living is sometimes called, as Paul talks about, the old man. Right? Old, not because of age, but because of how it, it was something of the past. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we forsake that sinful life and put on Christ in baptism and faithfully follow after him, we will gain eternal life. Verse 26, notice this. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You picture in your mind a non-Christian who had everything they could possibly want. What's one thing, have everything they possibly want physically in this world, what's one thing that non-Christian is missing? The most important thing of all. God, the gospel, and in future tense, 
heaven. He is missing everything that's important. He is missing everything that matters. You know, you cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot even buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, as we know that Simon the Sorcerer tried that back not soon after his conversion, right? And he was told to repent, because you can't buy that. God has no need for us to try to purchase our way into heaven, because it's not possible. Money does not affect God in that way. It affects us in that way. Look what else he says in verse 26. Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? And I like to put it this way. Man will give up pretty much anything. Just so long as they can live however they want. Man will give up heaven. So long as they can go whatever football game, baseball game, basketball game they want. I'm a sports fan. Don't misunderstand me. But I am greatly discouraged when I see brethren who are not where they sh- who are not where they should be doing what they should be doing because of a sporting event, either for themselves or for their children. You're setting an example, and when they grow up, they're going to care less about it than you do right now. Because that kind of thing doesn't get better typically with age; it gets worse. Well, Granddaddy used to do this, so we won't do it. And you know what? We'll just skip next time too. We'll take the month of March off because, you know, it's March Madness, right? We have people doing that. Deer season? No, don't talk about that. Because, hey, I'm making a sacrifice, but just the wrong kind, right? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Just about anything. Friends, make no mistake, by doing so, you'll give up everything. On the day of judgment, there are no last minutes obedience calls, you might say. There's no more chances on the judgment. When you stand before Christ, time is up. No excuses will work. No mommy or daddy or grandma and grandpa can carry you into heaven with them. It's just you and the Lord. So when you stand before Him, what are you going to say? Well, this was just so important to me. The answer would come back, I think, in many ways. And I guess I wasn't. When you think about things that, put, that come between you and God, friends, when you think about, is it really that important? You know, years ago, something came out called the DVR. It allowed you to record television shows and sporting events. I think in many ways, we'd be better off if we'd utilize those things if sports are so important and watch it later. Because if we don't put the Lord first, think about it this way. What would happen if God treated you the way you treated Him? What would happen? Would He answer when you called? Would He find you? Would He ever have any visits? Ever see your face? If He treated you the way you treated Him, how would that relationship go? Just think about that. I think that many times is enough for us to realize, for some of us, that we need to make some changes. Because if we're not having that right relationship with God, the battles that we're going to face are going to tear us apart. And one of the easiest ways for us to lose the battles we face today as Christians is we deceive ourselves into thinking, well, that doesn't affect me, being apathetic about things. There are many battles that the Christian will face. 
We notice here in the last verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and He will reward each according to His works. What reward will we receive? Will it be a positive one of heaven? Would it be one that we definitely would view as not being a positive reward? There are many battles that we're going to face. We notice in Luke 18, verse 8, he asks a simple question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, we really find faith on the earth. We really find us prepared as we should be. What battles will we face? We'll face things like the Bible critic. We'll face things like the self-righteous, those who try to justify their own lives and the way they live. Those who are teaching and following after false doctrine, not just those who are teaching it, but those who are listening to it. You know, those who are condemned by false doctrine is not just the teacher, but the follower of it. Because the follower becomes a promoter. We cannot, it's not enough to not be a false teacher. We can't go along with it either. False teaching is quite easy to understand. If it's something that goes against what the Bible teaches, if it contradicts, it's false. Stay away from it. And there are many more battles which we will face. But how does the Christian prepare for battle? How do we prepare for battle? We prepare first off by being submissive to God. We must be submissive to God. I mean, if you're going to face these spiritual battles, you have to be a follower of God. You have to actually be a faithful child of God. You cannot win doing things your own way. Before one can wage spiritual battles to the Lord, one must first be submissive. Look at James 4 and verse 7. Before we can wage... Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Before we can wage spiritual battles, we find in verse 7, Therefore submit to God. Right? Submit to God. That's the first part of verse 7. I love how he just states it plainly. Submit to God. If you are submissive to someone, it means that they have charge over you. Does God have charge over you? Is He the one ruling and guiding you in your lives? Because if, he, if He's not, friends, rest assured, He's the first one that knows it. When we humbly submit to God and obey His commands, it is He who gives us the victory and the tools for battle. Latter part of verse 7 tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How and why? Because we have prepared ourselves by first being submissive to God and secondly because we know his word enough to resist the devil. We are now strong enough to resist. We recognize the temptations of Satan. We recognize the attacks of the world and we say, I'm not going along with that. I don't agree with that. I'm not afraid to say it. You know, it's hard sometimes when people get, especially when they get upset and loud about something we think, you know, I'm tired of hearing this, we kind of walk away. I'm not saying you're getting big battles with people, but friends, we need to be brave enough that we stand up for what is right, no matter how angry someone gets. The emotions of others should not dictate our own personal spiritual beliefs. That means when people get upset, we shouldn't walk away from the Bible. As we mentioned already, people got upset with Christ all the time. What did he say? But the truth is the truth, right? Every plant which my Heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. 
Meaning if they don't follow the pattern of God's word and the truth, they're not going to last in the day of judgment. He didn't give in to them. We also need to be those who are following the proper training. Training means preparation. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 tells us, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Admonition really means an encouragement. So you train them, you prepare them in the Lord, and you encourage them also in the Lord, right? You prepare them, and you encourage them in the Lord. Which means we would also discourage anything they do that would go against the Bible. Encouragement and discouragement when it comes to training helps us understand, especially our children, the, the, the differences between right and wrong. If your child is, is only rewarded for doing good but never punished for doing what is bad, are they going to see what's wrong very soon? It may take a lot longer. Encourage what is good. Discourage that which is wrong. It is the Word of God that teaches us how to be prepared for battle in this, in this life and in, in general, we should say. Second Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, notice that, what is teaching us? The grace of God has appeared to all men, which is a reference to the gospel. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The Word of God teaches us, the Word of God trains us, the Word of God encourages us, and we should do the same thing for our children and our grandchildren and anyone else who will listen. It teaches us, it guides us, it encourages us. But friends, as I mentioned before, we cannot defend that which we do not know. In Isaiah chapter 4, in verse 6, we reminded there, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Do we realize that ignorance is not an excuse? The Bible is the most well, is the best-selling book since probably the beginning of time when that was being kept records. In fact, it's been on best-selling list for so long, so many years ago, they just took it off because it never came off. As one man pointed out, it's also it used to be, now you can get it for free, but it used to be the most stolen book of all time as well. And now we can get it for free on, on our devices in so many different ways, right? You can go online and read it. You can go online and listen to it having someone read it to you, it is readily available, which tells us there is no reason for us not to know it. There is no reason for it. My people, he says, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We cannot defend that which we do not know. So we better start learning. This idea that we're going to let other people fight our battles for us, well, if someone has a question, we'll just invite them to church and let the preacher answer it, right? Sounds like a little bit of a cop-out, don't you think? Well, the elders handle it. Sure, I've, sure I've been a member of the church for 30 years, and I should know better, but we'll let someone else do it. You know, that's not only disappointing to the preacher, to the elders, but most importantly, it's disappointing to God. Other people cannot fight our spiritual battles for us. 
We must be those who are trying to learn all that we can so that we can know how we ought to answer. doesn't mean we can't ask questions of our elders and, and our, our deacons and other members and things such as that about things we're not sure about. But we need to be working to make sure we can defend ourselves with the Word of God. Think about it this way. If, you, if the Word of God was a weapon and you pulled it out when someone was attacking you, would it have any bullets in it? Would you be able to defend yourself? See, knowledge, as we've heard many times before, knowledge is power. It really is. But the Word of God is the most powerful kind of knowledge there is. Because it defeats illogical arguments. It defeats false concepts. It defeats all these theories that have not, you know, theories something that's unproven, right? It defeats all those things. It defeats those who are promoters of evil and wickedness and all other types of things. It defeats them all. But we cannot wield that weapon if we do not know it. How do we solve the lack of knowledge? Well, we've already just mentioned it there. We do it through study. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent, which means there we are to be those who put effort and time into our study. It's a great thing to be a daily Bible reader, but it's better to be a daily Bible student, one who studies things. And I, I try to encourage people when I talk about those types of things. When you go through your Bible reading, and I hope that you do, that you will take notes about things that you have learned, that you'll write down questions that you have, and you work to find answers to those questions. Because as you do so, if you do that, after just one week, you'll have a week of your own personal Bible commentary. You know that? If you do that every single week, by the end of the year, you'll have your own personal Bible commentary. And every year, you should work to add to it. So you're not just a Bible reader. You are a Bible student. You know, we talk about OEBS and being a student. No doubt I want you to be one. But a Bible student is anyone who studies God's Word seriously. Much more than just a reader. What else do we need to be prepared for battle? We need training. We need submission to God. And we need dedication. You know, being a Christian is not for the weak. Being a faithful Christian is for the strong. You think about how many times the Bible tells us to be strong, to be brave, to be courageous. Several times. You can think about how many times Joshua is told that. How many times Moses is told that. To be strong, to be brave, right? He tells David to be strong. And we find with the same idea that I am with you wherever you go, so long as you are strong enough to remain faithful to me. And every time God's army went out to battle and they were faithful to God, no enemy could stand before them. Today, friends, is not any different. When we have the Word of God in truth, no naysayer can stand against us. You know, being the louder of the two does not make you more correct. Being the one who answers questions and comments and remarks from the Word of God, from the Word of God, that gives you the victory. Because God is always the one who grants the victory. It's not us. God is the one who grants us the victory. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, and looking at verse 6, he tells us here, 
Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. The Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Does it sound like God is going anywhere? No. What about Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9? I would not commanded you be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dis- be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What does Christ say at the end of the Great Commission? And lo, I am with you always. See, the message has been the same. The Christian is never alone. But too many times we walk away from God and leave Him standing there without us by His side. And then which one is in their own? It's not God. It's us. The only reason we grow weaker is because we walk away from God. You know, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, the Bible tells us, Your sin has separated you from your God so that He cannot hear. And I've always pictured it this way. It's like you have your hand on the door. You ever been on the linoleum floor as a child with your socks on, and you go sliding across it? I remember as a child I could put my hand on the door, and I could push, and my feet would just slide back. You know, that's what sin does for us. It makes us slide back from God. He doesn't move. He's like that door, that wall that doesn't move. It's still there. Only thing that's moving are your own feet. Sin makes us slide back. Thus we find that phrase in the Bible, backsliding, right? It makes us slide back away from God. We go the opposite direction because sin separates us. So we remove sin... We submit to God, we get involved in training, and we stay dedicated to the cause. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13 these very words. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Watch, stand fast, be brave, be strong. You notice how similar that is to Deuteronomy, to Joshua? The same idea, right? And the Lord is with us wherever we go. The Lord is with us. Some lessons for us today as we think about this. You know, I have, you look on there, you have those tags that soldiers, I think they still wear them. When we think about all those brave Christian soldiers who have gone before us. The Christian will always have battles to fight. We'll always have battles to fight. As previously mentioned, we have battles and many, and many concerns that are before us. But only through spiritual preparedness we can, be, can we be ready to fight these battles. We do not want to disappoint our Lord. There is no doubt. But I think also we should keep in mind we don't want to disappoint others who are members of the Lord's body. Do, you want to see, do we want others to see us weak and afraid in the battle of the spiritual battles that we face? They don't want us to see that. God does not want to see that. The Christian will always have battles to fight, therefore we must always be ready. 
Another lesson for us is that we must remember that souls are at stake. First our own, and then those close to us. Do you want your own soul to be lost? The answer should be no. Do you want your children's souls to be lost? What about your grandchildren? Your great-grandchildren? Your close friends? Your neighbors? Your co-workers? And the list goes on and on. Do we want them to lose their soul? No. So we should work to do all we can to help them obey the gospel. And that's a whole other aspect of the battles we face is trying to reach those who are lost. Not just trying to defend ourselves, but to reach others. Because we should be those who want the kingdom of God, the church, to grow, right? Because the simple fact is no one lives in this life, no one lives forever. So if we stop evangelizing and people stop obeying the gospel, a congregation can die off. It happens all the time. So what must we do? We evangelize, we reach out because we want the church to continue to grow. Not just locally, but as a whole. We want the church to grow. Our own souls are at stake. They are at risk. We must consider what we are up against. And again, not only our souls, but those around us as well. As we conclude this morning, I want us to go back to Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, we found these words in verses 11 and 12. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We could say when we first obeyed the gospel, right? The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us be arrayed for that spiritual battle. You ever think about how when Paul gives the illustration of the, the armor of God, he never mentions anything for the back. You have the breastplate, you have the helmet, you have the sword, you have the, the feet shod, those types of things, girded around the waist, but nothing for the back. Is specifically mentioned. You know why that is in my mind? Because we're never meant to turn around and walk away. We're never meant to give up. We don't turn show God or show our enemy our back. We show them the Word of God, which is mentioned and described both as an offensive and defensive weapon. We must put on the armor of God and fight this spiritual battle. If the Christian becomes apathetic, that is, we become indifferent, we no longer care about the wickedness around us, then our wickedness will place our souls in danger and the souls of others in danger. Do you remember Lot? Back in Genesis chapter 19. Do you remember how wickedness was literally beating down the door in Genesis 19, beginning verse 9? We're almost done. Stick with me here. Look at Genesis 19, verse 9. And they said, stand back. They, then they said, this one came in to stay here. This is the wicked individuals involved in all types of homosexuality and all types of wickedness there, sexual sins. This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. What is that? He's condemning Lot, isn't he? Or they are trying to condemn Lot. You're not our judge, right? We have a way back here. Don't judge me. You can't judge us. 
Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot, and he came and he came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house. Remember, those are messengers from God with them, and they shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they became weary trying to find the door. What was happening? They were trying to break down the door, get into the house, and have their ways with these men of God to commit unthinkable, wicked, sinful, sexual acts with them. As Romans 1 said, which was unnatural. Against nature, right? They were literally at the front door of Lot's house. How would you respond? If someone's trying to come into your house and do wicked things to your children or to your spouse, how would you respond? Lot's response was, I'm going to listen to what God said, which was, get out of here, and I'm going to leave. That's what it took for him to be obedient to God, was to get his things and get out. Will you, will, you be prepared, will you be prepared when wickedness comes knocking? Because, friends, it is. It's knocking on our, on our, in our houses through television. That's carpet. You can't knock on that. It knocks in our houses through television. It knocks in our houses through music. It knocks in our houses through movies, through magazines, through YouTube, and the list goes on and on, right? And it keeps on knocking. So we need to be prepared to answer those battles, don't we? We train up ourselves and we train up our children to know how to respond when those things are front and center so we can remove them from our lives and remove them from our homes. This morning we conclude by asking this simple question, are you battle ready? Are you ready to face these things? Because friends, it's not coming, it's already here. The battle is all around us. Wickedness and sin is coming for you, it's coming for your children, it's coming for your grandchildren. These things are not said to, be, to make you afraid. These are things you're probably already aware of. But the Bible tells us how to deal with it. Are you prepared to take those necessary steps? And the first step, if you haven't already, is to obey the gospel. The Bible tells us we must hear the word of God. We must believe the word of God. We must repent of our sins. We must confess Christ. We must put him on in baptism. Then we must live faithfully to God for the rest of our days. Repenting when we do sin again. If we are a Christian, we have sin in our life, we can make it right now, can't we? The Bible tells us what we call the second law of pardon. We can go to God in prayer. We confess those things. We repent of them. And He is faithful and just. We forgive us of those things, right? 1 John 1 and verse 9. The Bible tells us how to get right with God and how to stay right with God. The question is, are we willing to do it? Because there's nothing worse than a soldier going out to war and not having a weapon, not having a defense, and finding the enemy coming with all sorts of weapons. Friends, let's make sure that we always are those who are standing ready.